Hey, hey, Cornerstone, how are we doing? Okay, so we're uh, kind of midway in a conversation uh, about mental health that we're calling The Struggle is Real. Today, we're gonna tackle the topic of anxiety together. Before we get started, though, real, real quick, as you came in, we tried desperately hard to hand you these highly valuable, incredibly rare uh, little Dixie Cups. If you did not get one, you are gonna want one. It'll become clear in a few moments. So just raise your hand up. Let us know you didn't get one. We want you to have one real quick. If nothing else, you can fill this up with water and throw it on your spouse. It'll bring a little momentary joy to your life on the deal. You're gonna want uh, one of these. All right, good. All right, so we're in a conversation about mental health. We started two weeks ago. We had some professionals that came in last week. So let me catch us up a little bit on some of the things we said together on the first week. Uh, we talked about this idea uh, that part of what we call mental health uh, really does belong in the mental health uh, bucket. Uh, there are professionals uh, who are gonna have some insight that you and I would not have. They're gonna be able to explain, hey, why does that trigger me? Or, or what is it in my past that makes that so difficult for me and help us navigate those things? And what you need to hear me say is, this is absolutely legitimate. There are some of us who are gonna find answers uh, by seeking out a professional and allowing them to speak into, give us insight uh, for our lives. We also talked about the idea that some of the things that appear to kind of be mental health actually have a physical uh, root to them. The cause of them is a physical issue, such as uh, a hormones being way, way off and out of balance. And although they show up in behavior and in ways that we say, well, that's mental health, the reality is there's an underlying physical issue, and it's about getting those hormones back in balance. And what we said together is this. It is absolutely critical that you and I discover and figure out which bucket, which area the struggle that we're having emanates from because the solution will always be within that bucket. Uh, for instance, uh, let's say that uh, you've got some struggles uh, going on in your life. Uh, they come from the fact of how you were raised or maybe how uh, parents treated you and they're causing anxiety for you, well, the reality is you're probably gonna find some of those solutions here, but you go here and someone prescribes to you a pill, you're not gonna find a solution in that bucket because the struggle is mental, it's not physical. And all that pill can possibly do is numb you, right? But let's say it is back on maybe hormones or things being out of balance, then someone telling you to have a positive attitude or think about this a different way isn't gonna resolve that. You need to go to a physical solution because it's a physical struggle and get those hormones balanced, right? Getting to the right bucket is critical, which brings us to the next. How is it possible? How is it possible that you and I live in a generation who knows more about this bucket than any generation that's ever existed before us. And we know more about that bucket than any generation that's existed before us. And yet our generation struggles with mental health worse than any generation before us. And is it possible that the reason the struggle is so big is because these two buckets alone are not enough? That our culture has chosen uh, to ignore or discount 
some of the buckets that are the source of solution that you and I need in our lives. And we talked uh, two weeks ago about the idea that, hey, sometimes uh, what's missing is actually life skills. Uh, somebody is uh, filled with anxiety, but the reality is that's not necessarily mental health. It may just be they haven't learned the skills necessary to navigate a struggle or to navigate a problem. They got a boss who's really, really on their case all the time. It's not about a pill. It's not about thinking about life differently. It's about, hey, do you have the skills to deal with conflict and to navigate conflict? Do you have those skills developed in your life? We also talked about the fact that an awful lot of what looks like mental health actually comes out of a spiritual bucket. That there's some spiritual realities in my life in which I'm living outside of the way that God built me and designed me, that the creator made me, and now it's showing up in anxiety or depression or maybe even suicidal thoughts that aren't about mental health and aren't about a pill. This is about my human struggle and my relationship with God. And you just need to hear me say real clearly, I don't have the expertise to walk that through you. There are others who do. I don't have the expertise to do the physical with you. Others do. But I do have the expertise to talk about these two buckets. And so we're gonna spend the next few weeks unpacking the forgotten buckets of mental health. And if you've struggled with mental health and haven't found solution in these other two, it may be that your solution is here. Okay. We said today we're gonna talk about anxiety. Uh, here's why this uh, may be one of the most critical talks uh, that we're gonna have. And the reason that it's critical for you and me is because uh, when it comes to mental health, there's a progression. So people who struggle with anxiety, who have this as a constant part of their lives, if they do not find resolution, in other words, they don't find solution for this, they live constantly within anxiety. The dilemma is this, and that is that this thing is progressive and live long enough with anxiety it is likely that it, anxiety will then become depression. See, anxiety starts when you say, look, I've got this thing and I've got this problem in my life. I've got this struggle in my life and, and I have no way of solving it. I have no way of fixing it. And I'm just telling you the consequences of what appears to be coming my way just look overwhelming. And, and what do our hearts normally do? We, we think of the worst possible scenario and then we machinate on that and we live in anxiety. But do that long enough you'll become exhausted. Anxiety will literally wear you out. And when you are living in a moment where you go, I've got this problem, it's bigger than I can handle, and it doesn't look like it's ever gonna go away, and I'm just telling you, I'm exhausted from trying to wrestle this problem, you will find yourself with depression. You just go, hey, I, I, guess, I guess I just give up. I guess this is just the verdict upon my life. I, I, I guess this is just how my life is. Live in depression long enough. And you'll begin to say to yourself, hey, nobody understands. N nobody, nobody really gets it. No, don't be wrong. I know there's people who care about it, but they don't understand. They don't, they don't get it. I feel like I'm all alone and live in depression long enough. Feel isolated from everybody around you, even those who care because they don't understand you, 
and thoughts of suicide will become viable thoughts to you. There's a progression to mental health, which then says, if you and I could stop it at anxiety, if we could solve it at the beginning, then we need never experience the other. And so today becomes an incredibly critical talk as we talk about anxiety. Now, here's what anxiety is. Let me just, so we get the same definition. Anxiety is worry on steroids. Anxiety is worry, and then I play a tape in my mind. Oh, th this, is, this is too big. Uh, it's an unsolvable problem. I don't have the skills. I don't have the abilities. I, I, there is no way this thing gets fixed. Huh. I, I'm not sure God even cares. And we begin to run this tape in our mind as we try to process our worry and our problem, and it only escalates. It only amplifies within us and turns into anxiety and even uh, possibly uh, just full-blown panic attacks within my life. Why? Because worry was amplified by a story I told myself within my mind. Today, we're gonna unpack a passage of scripture, and this is why I chose it, because it's a day in the life of the disciples that started out really good. Matter of fact, they would have said, hey, this is probably one of the better days of our lives. But within a few short hours, so, such is gonna go wrong. It's gonna be of such a magnitude, of such a size, that they are literally gonna be filled with anxiety all the way to their eyeballs. And in the midst of their anxiety, they're gonna do everything wrong. Every decision they make is the wrong decision. And the benefit that you and I are gonna have is to watch them slide deeper and deeper into anxiety and then determine in our hearts, we're gonna do it just the opposite whenever we're getting faced with anxiety. And it's gonna bring some solution and resolution for you and me. So here we go. Uh, grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter four. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then uh, work to the left, you're gonna find this book of Mark. It's part of what we call the Gospels, uh, the stories of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter four. Let me uh, set up what's happening uh, in this chapter. It's, it's reasonably early in the ministry of Jesus Christ, and uh, he is experiencing wild popularity. I mean, people are coming to him in just droves and droves. And uh, he's a fairly long-speaking speaker, you know, he's one of those pastors that doesn't see the clock. And then uh, when he gets done, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody has a question. Everybody has an aunt that they want him to pray for. Everybody's got a problem that they'd like for him to solve or an infirmity they want to heal. And so the lines are just never ending to try to meet with uh, Jesus. And this has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And quite frankly, at this point, Jesus is absolutely exhausted. And so he turns to his disciples and says, I'll tell you what, let's do. Uh, let's hop in a boat. We'll sail across the Sea of Galilee, okay? And uh, we'll go to the other side. This sounds great to the disciples because even if the crowd decides to follow them, they'll have to walk on foot around the lake. They'll have a couple days of break before they get there. Vacay, vacay for Jesus and the disciples. So they're all in. They're all in, let's do this. And in just a few moments, they're gonna be filled with anxiety 
that is absolutely going to be beyond anything they could have ever thought about or dreamed about in their lives. So here we go. It's uh, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Here's what it says. That day when evening came, he, talking about Jesus, said to his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, uh, Leaving the crowd behind, uh, they took him along with them. And what it means when it says, and they took him along, because he's exhausted. They probably even had to help him into the boat. Uh, He's so tired. Uh, They took him along with him just as he was into the boat. There were other boats with him. So despite the best of plans, everybody's supposed to walk around. Some people spoiled the plan. They're like, oh no, we'll just follow Jesus on our own boats. And so now they're following behind. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So you get the moment, the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat. The boat is beginning to fill up with water. There's almost as much water on the inside of the boat as there is outside the boat. If those two things ever meet, the boat's going under. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, we're we're about to die and you're asleep. So uh, get the moment. The disciples are out with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. Here's what the disciples are thinking. They're thinking harbor cruise. We're just gonna have this nice little peaceful sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, We're gonna be eating some shrimp cocktail, drinking camel pugiladas. John turns to Peter and says, man, we should have invited our wives. We could have earned a ton of points. It's It's a great day in the beginning. And then, Scripture says, and then comes a squall. A squall like none of these men had ever seen before. Now, this is a big deal because if you remember, four of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. Matter of fact, the Sea of Galilee is home field. They have fished this lake from the time they were little boys. They are absolutely accomplished sailors. And yet this storm comes and they find themselves in absolute fear and absolute panic. And what begins to do, happen is they start playing a scenario in their mind. They start telling themselves a story. They go, man, I, we, I have never seen waves like that. These are like death waves. These are killer waves. And, and I don't care how skilled we, we're not skilled enough to do, I don't think there's a sailor anywhere who's skilled in it, right? So there's stories going around in their head. And in the process of them telling themselves those stories, they now begin to pain. They become incredibly, incredibly anxious. They do exactly what we do in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a problem. We, we begin to say, well, what is my thoughts about this? What, what do I think about this? And if we're not careful, we begin to start a dialogue in our minds. This problem's just so unfair. It, it's bigger than I know how to, ha- I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability to solve this problem. We start a scenario. We start a recording in our heads. And here's what comes out of that. That as we begin to tell that story, if we're not careful, we end up surrendering to anxiety. Because anxiety is, hey, this is worry on steroids because of the story I'm telling myself in my head. So it's things like, 
hey, this, this thing, this problem, I, this is just too big. It's too big. If it were a reasonable storm, I could navigate the reason, but this storm is beyond. It's too big. Anything I do, anything I do won't be enough. It's gonna happen despite my best efforts. The worst is gonna happen to me. I'm, I'm just doomed in this moment to have this crash into my life. Here's another thing we tell her. God has forgotten me. Somehow he's allowed this thing to happen. I don't, I don't know if he was out to dinner with friends. I don't know if he was taking vacation or if he was in the bathroom. I don't know, but somehow this slipped past God. He didn't notice it, and now I'm struggling, and he has no idea. He's just forgotten me. He hasn't noticed my struggle. Whatever ability I have, whatever talent I have, whatever skills I have, it's just simply not enough to solve this. I, I, could, I, could, I could work on this as hard as I want to for as long as I want to. I'll never fix it. And guys, here's what you gotta get. Every one of those is a lie. Every one of those is a lie. And let even one of them come into your mind, come into your heart and start machinating on it. Start letting that become the storyline that you tell yourself. Remember what his scripture says. As a man thinks, so is he. Believe a lie, you will live a lie. Let even one lie come in and you and I will surrender to anxiety. Which is why, and we talked about this passage two weeks ago, scripture simply says this, above all else. Did you get that? Above all else, if you don't get anything else right in your life, apart from asking Jesus to be your savior, if, you, if there's nothing else you get quite right, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Make sure that lies don't slip into your thinking and slip into your imagining. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And what he's literally saying is, is that as your brain starts to go there and whether that's the enemy whispering in your ear, whether that's you just telling yourself the lie, whether that's culture speaking to you, if it's not truth, then the scripture says, hey, then guard your, don't even, don't even give it a place. Don't keep playing that over and over again in your life. So in that moment, uh, when it says, hey, you know what? Uh, you're, you're doomed to fail. That, that's just, that's all that can come of this. Here's what scripture says. Scripture says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a peace, which means this is a lie. And you in that moment of guarding your heart say, no, that's a lie. I'm not gonna believe a lie. So when it comes and it says, your heart says to you, hey, God's forgotten you. Then you say, no, 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 no. Scripture says that God's eyes are on the righteous 
and that their calls don't go unnoticed, which means God forgetting me is a lie, and I refuse to believe a lie. So when something inside of you, someone whispers in your ear and says, hey, you're not enough. You don't have the ability, you don't have the skills. You go, no, 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 no. Scripture says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ in our lives. That means this is a lie. And I refuse to let a lie into my life. When it says, hey, this is too big. It's too big. You can't possibly overcome that. Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means this is a lie. I'm not gonna let that in my heart. I'm not gonna surrender to anxiety because that's a lie. This is guarding my heart. It's simply saying I will filter everything. Only truth lands in my heart, never a lie. Guarding my heart. Here's interesting. Years ago, uh, there was a whole bunch of counterfeiting going on. The FBI was trying to figure out how do we train our agents to recognize counterfeit bills. So here's what they did. They brought in just dozens of examples of counterfeit bills and trained their agents to say, look, this is what the mistake they make. This is what a counterfeit does. Look at the little place they didn't do the right thing. And they showed them just dozens of counterfeit bills and studied. Here was the dilemma. About the time they got the agents trained, the counterfeiters had become smarter. And so now they had solved those issues, but now they had 20 new ways of counterfeiting bills. The FBI finally came to the conclusion, this is never ending. If we keep trying to show every type of version of counterfeit, here's what we'll do. We'll train our agents to recognize a true bill. That they will know what a real bill is so thoroughly that when that doesn't happen, they'll immediately know it's a false bill. You realize what we just did with scripture. We took every single one of the lies and we held it up to the truth of God and said, if it doesn't line up with scripture, it has to be a lie. Remember Jesus when he was tempted. On every occasion when Satan tempted him, he responded with scripture. He said, no, 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 Satan, that's not real. Here's what the word of God says. So let me ask you a question. Do you know enough scripture that you can recognize the lie? Because if you don't, then the lie slips through and we surrender to anxiety because a lie is playing in our minds and our hearts. Which is, ready, you ready for this, guys? It's why coming to church once a month is not enough. Because you won't know enough scripture to beat the lies of the enemy, the lies we tell ourselves, or the lies the culture tells us. It's why coming to church once a month isn't enough for your kids when they're gonna go face a public school system or their friends who are telling them things that the world says that they would recognize as a lie and say, I'll not let that in my heart. And guys, I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm not saying to be honorary. I'm saying it because I absolutely care for you. Because let one lie in and you will surrender to anxiety. Above all else, guard your hearts. Do you know enough scripture 
to guard your heart. Back to the passage. Back up to the top, it's verse 35. Here's what it says. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, I think we read this and we don't realize necessarily what's going on here. So think about this. Who was the one that came up with the idea, let's go sailing on the Sea of Galilee? Come on, this is the easiest one you can ever do in Sunday school. Jesus. Okay, Jesus. Jesus came up with the idea, said, hey, let's go sailing. But wait a minute. Thank you very much. The, all right, think about this for a second. If Jesus is the son of God, what does he know is waiting for them on the lake? A storm, which means, you ready? Jesus just invited them into trouble. He just invited them into a storm. Why would Jesus do that? Is Jesus just trying to be cruel to the disciples? Is he like an eight-year-old boy who's pulling the legs off of a bug? Is he just trying to be mean? There's something they need to learn, you ready? In the storm. It's not how to be anxious. There's something they need to learn in the storm. The disciples at this point, if you just read passages before this story, the disciples have seen Jesus cast demons out. Uh, the disciples have seen him heal people who were sick. Uh, they've seen him reach down to a paralytic, take him by the hand, lift him up, and he walked on perfectly good legs. They've seen him reach out to a leper who had skin that had emaciated and taken most of his body and bone, and it suddenly was whole. They, they saw him touch a man whose hand was shriveled up, and suddenly he could move it perfectly. And in all of that, in seeing all of those miracles, the disciples still haven't figured out who Jesus is. See, they're going, you know what? He's like the best doctor ever. He's really good at helping other people out on sunny days. And they still haven't figured out who Jesus is. And Jesus is about to invite them in the storm so that they will see firsthand that Jesus isn't just for other people, he's for them, and that he is Lord over not just physical bodies, he's Lord over everything in the universe. And they will see his power in a way that they had never imagined and they would have never understood if they hadn't seen it in a storm. And here's what you need to know. In the very same way, Jesus sometimes invites you and me into a storm. And then what we do is we go, oh, God has forgotten me, or I can't handle this. And all of a sudden, those lies drift in, and we surrender ourselves to anxiety. And instead, what we should have done at that moment is say, wait, 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 wait. Why did Jesus invite me? I know he didn't do it to be cruel. I know he didn't uh, forget me. Why did he invite me into the storm? And the answer is, in that moment, you and I need to become students. We need to say, hey, there's something in the storm that I'm supposed to learn. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm supposed to learn something about God and about how absolutely powerful he is and how there's nothing bigger. Than, or maybe I'm supposed to learn something about myself and my struggle with fear and my struggle with anxiety. But in that moment, I begin as a student, not as a person who surrenders. And I say, what am I supposed to learn in the storm? The disciples don't do that. 
the disciples panic. The, the disciples, filled with anxiety, decide, I've got to scramble around on the deck of the ship and do my very best to solve this thing. And so all of a sudden, they're hoisting the sails up, and then the wind rips the sails. They go, no, bring the sails down. Then they go, hey, throw the anchor out, and they throw the anchor out. And then all of a sudden, the cord snaps. They're like, no, no, bring the rope back in. And then they're grabbing Dixie cups. They're going, bail away, bail away, bail away. Because in their anxiety, they're pretty darn sure that the solution is in their hands. Can I just say to you that God sometimes invites us into hard times, struggling times, because we learn about him and about ourselves. And that God often does his best work in the storm. See, storms aren't there because he's cruel and he's trying to freak you and me out. It's because he's trying to grow you and me, change you and me, help us discover how powerful he is. Guys, I don't, I don't know if you knew this. Cornerstone was actually born out of a storm. I've only told this story one other time. I want you to know as I begin the story, I absolutely love the church that I was at before I came and we planted Cornerstone. I love the people of that church. But while Lisa and I were there serving in that church, we were youth pastors and uh, the salary they were giving us was, it, it was horrible. And Lisa and I literally had our electricity turned off three different times. Not because we were frivolous, not because we overspent on vacation, but because living there in Southern California, what we were being paid was literally hand to mouth to pay our bills. So the minute we had a flat tire, we were sunk. Uh, The minute we had a dentist appointment, no way we could pay our bills. And so three times we had our electricity turned off. And I'd gone to the elders and I said, hey guys, I, I mean, I'm struggling here. I am struggling Is there any way you could possibly give me a raise? And their response was, they sent an elder to come to our house and review our finances. And guys, can I just tell you how humbling that is to have somebody else look here, hey, you bought Starbucks. That's pretty frivolous, right? I mean, and yet this elder went through our finances, looked at every penny that we spent. He said, Lynn, you're making every nickel cry before you spend it. You haven't been frivolous. And so my heart was filled with hope. And I said, okay, so you're going to go back to the elders and you tell them that I deserve a raise. He said, no. Can I just tell you, if I'm being honest and transparent, my heart was filled with anxiety. I'm just going, God, how long can I hang on? How long before something so big comes up that I cannot possibly recover financially from it? I went back to the elders and said, hey, I think things are going well. The youth group's growing like crazy. The school calls us up every beginning of our year, says, tell us the church calendar because we can't plan school events on the times you're doing church events because everybody will go to the church event and nobody comes to the school event. And I just said, you just, kids' lives are being radically changed. I feel like I'm doing right, but apparently I've got something I'm not doing. Would you tell me what the thing is that I could do better at so that you could actually give me a raise and my wife and I could live okay? And they said, Lynn, there's nothing you can do. We pay youth pastors what we pay youth pastors. So you're stuck. It's not going away. 
And can I, can I just tell you, it felt like we were in the midst of a storm that was way bigger than we could manage and somebody else was making decisions and we couldn't change it no matter how hard we tried. And I'm gonna tell you that we wrestled, but here's what I discovered. God had invited Lisa and I to the storm because he was ripping up our nest that felt so comfortable there and preparing us to come here and plant Cornerstone. Because sometimes, you ready for this? Sometimes God does his best work in the storm. And you and I should be asking, hey God, what are you doing? What are you teaching? Instead of telling ourselves false scenarios, hey God has forgotten me and I'll never get out of. Sometimes God does his best work. We see God more clearly in the storm. Back to the passage. Verse 39, then he got up, Jesus did, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Okay, so that's gotta be weird. You're on the boat, everybody's freaked out, everybody's running around, Jesus stands up, says, hey, be quiet. Man, that thunderous wind that was coming through, ripping the sails, the waves that were taking that boat and slapping it around like it was a toy, and all of a sudden, pfft. That's gotta be weird, right? You ready for this? You realize what Jesus did in that moment when he stood up and said, hey, peace be still. He could have done it any moment on the boat ride. So think about this. While they were still going along and the clouds were way out at the distance, Jesus could have gone, nah, peace be still, go away, clouds. I don't want my disciples to have to go through the storm. When the storm first started, and the waves were only half the size. Jesus could have said, hey, peace be still. And he chose this moment. He chose the moment of utter panic. He chose the moment in which anxiety was through their eyeballs to stop and go, hey, peace be still. And a matter of fact, I don't know this. It isn't in the Bible. I'm just kind of guessing based on what I read. I got a feeling that Jesus was laying there asleep in the boat, woke up at one moment, went, no, nah, it's not bad enough yet. <laughs> Because he was waiting for them to realize that he was bigger than any problem they could face. That he was the God who was able to stand up in any circumstance, in any moment, and just say, peace, be still. And yet, here are the disciples, running around, trying to solve their own problem, raising the sails and throwing the anchors and taking their Dixie cups. You and I look at the disciples, we get a little frustrated with them. We go, guys, the creator of the universe is in the boat. What did you think was gonna happen? Why are you so freaked out, right? You realize that Jesus is with every one of us, just as real as he was that day in the boat with them. That when you and I became a Christian, when you and I said, hey, I get it, I need a savior and I want you to come into my life, that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. There has never been a moment since then that you've been alone in the boat. He has always been there with you. So why are you running around hoisting sails and throwing anchors and dipping Dixie cups? 
All he needed to do at any moment in your life when the kid is rebelling, when your finances are going south, when the doctor says cancer, all he has to do is say, peace, be still. Why are we telling stories to our hearts and our minds and living in the midst of anxiety? Jesus is in the boat. And you get that Jesus being in the boat changes everything. See, the reality is here's what's happening in that moment. The disciples are more fixed on the storm than they are at who's in the boat with them, right? Every bit of their imagination, every bit of their focus is on how big the waves are, how fast the wind's going. If they just would have turned and focused and said, the creator of the universe is in the boat, I think we're okay. And the reality is, if instead of walking over to Jesus, we're dying, don't you care? All they had to do was walk over to Jesus, go, hey, Jesus, uh, were you aware there's a storm? Yeah, okay, long as you're aware, I'm good. You realize that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is you and I going to God and saying, hey God, are, are you aware that my kid is going crazy right now? Yeah, I'm aware. Then I'm okay. Because the God who can say peace be still is with me in the boat. Hey, are you aware, God, that my marriage is struggling right now, that my finances are upside down? Yes, I'm aware. God, if you're aware, I'm okay. Because the God who can say peace be still is in the boat with me. Back to the passage. Verse 39 again. He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? And I can just imagine the disciples said back to him in that moment, wait, wait, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. You were asleep for most of this. There were waves. I mean, the waves were killer. And we put the sails up and the, they ripped immediately and we threw the anchor out and the rope snapped and we Dixie cupped ourselves to death. You don't understand, we are afraid because that's our job to be afraid. That storm was crazy and that's what we're supposed to do. To which Jesus said, no, it's not. It's not what you're supposed to do. Why were you so afraid? Do not be anxious about anything. Are you kidding me? Doesn't that sound like the most impossible verse you've ever read? Don't be anxious about any, easy for you to say, Jesus. You and I would say, hey, I can't, I can't control that. Being anxious is a feeling. And Jesus would say to you and me, no, 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 no. Being anxious is a feeling that follows a decision. See, if you sit in that moment and you say, I'm gonna believe all the lies that either the enemy tells me or I tell myself and I'm gonna let them drift into my heart and I'm gonna start this ongoing recording, then I've surrendered. I made a decision to surrender to anxiety. But if instead in that moment I say, I'm in the boat with the God of the universe who at any moment can stand up and say, peace be still, and so I'm just wondering what God's trying to teach me, that's a decision that will lead me to peace. He says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. You make the decision 
of who you're gonna trust because your job is not to be afraid, your job is to trust the one who's in the boat with you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. What do we say? Hey, Jesus, are you aware there's a storm? Yes, I am. Okay, then I'm good. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then you wanna get your mind blown? You ready? And he says, if we do that, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, and there's that phrase, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. He says, if you can get this, if you can remember who's in the boat with you, you'll have a peace. Your friends will come to you and they'll say, how in the world can that be going? How can you be facing that big of a storm and not be out of your mind in anxiety? And your answer is gonna be, because I know who's in the boat with me. And that at any moment, my God could stand up and say, peace, be still. You're gonna have coworkers who come to you and say, how in the world are you not out of your mind with fear and anxiety? And you're gonna be able to say, because I know who's in the boat with me. The one who can say, peace, be still. I refuse to be more focused on the storm. I choose to be focused on the one who's with me. Here's what we're gonna do. So we gave you the little cup. And what I want you to do in this next couple weeks is just put this cup somewhere you're gonna see it every day. Put it on your counter, put it in your car, on the dash, whatever you do. And in the moments in which you feel anxious, let this little cup remind you, oh, I'm bailing water. I'm running all over my deck, raising sails and throwing out anchors and I'm trying to... In the moment I start bailing with a Dixie cup, I've started looking at the storm and I forgot who's in the boat. And I'm gonna change my direction. I'm gonna change my mind. Second thing I wanna ask you to do, I wanna ask you that during this week, that whenever anxiety starts to well up, that you go to God in prayer. Remember it says, put your petitions before God and the God whose peace passes understanding will guard your hearts. And you just go to God and go, God, are you aware that my marriage is struggling? Yes, I am. Then God, I'm good. God, are you aware that my finances are way up? Yes, I am. Then I'm good. I'm good. Because I know who's in the boat with me. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, uh, we find ourselves a lot more like the disciples than we want to admit. We've been in the boat with you, and yet we've been scrambling on the deck. We've been throwing up the sails, and the wind's been ripping them. We've been throwing out the anchor, and the line's been snapping, and we've been taking Dixie cups and trying to bail out the boat. We've been more focused on the storm than on the one who's in the boat with us. The one who invited us to the storm to teach us what we couldn't learn on a sunny day. The one who at any given moment can stand and say, peace be still, because he's bigger than the storm. So God, we just choose not to surrender to fear and anxiety, but to surrender to you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Man, what a phenomenal message. Listen, I want you to know that as your church family, man, we're here for you. You can simply text the word support to 21999 if you need counseling or someone to talk to. We've got people on standby ready and excited to reach out to you. But in addition to that, you just may say, hey, I need someone to pray with me. Just simply text the word prayer to 21999. Listen, this is not the end of the series. We've still got a couple more weeks to go. So my prayer is this, that we'll see you back here again next week. Remember, we love you. We're supporting you. Have a phenomenal, phenomenal week.